Well, hey, Arbor, I love you very much. Uh, my name's Mike Howerton, and it is such an honor to be with you on Father's Day today. I am a dad. I have a dad. So I want to give a shout out to all the dads. And, and I've, been, I've been praying about a message uh, to bring that, that might be something really fun to tackle here on Father's Day. And God brought me to this really interesting passage, the story in the Old Testament, all the way back near the very beginning. And so um, I, I want to tell you that I'm crafting this for you, especially dads, and, and for you, especially uh, those of you who have dads, and, and really just about everybody, I think this might be helpful for you. So today, what we're talking about is the strange, sad story of Samson, the strange, sad story of Samson. And, and specifically, we're asking that as a question, like, what do we do with this strange, sad story of Samson? It's in the book of Judges. It's kind of all the way back towards the beginning. And, and there are these three little chapters. And inside these three chapters are the story of this man's life. You might be familiar with this strong man named Samson. And we don't have time to go verse by verse through it, but there is so much in it that is interesting. There's so much in it that we can actually learn from that's instructive for us. And then there's quite a lot in it that's just a little odd. It's a great, great story, and I'm excited to get into it today. We're just going to start with the beginning. We're going to start with Samson's birth. So it says here uh, in the book of Judges, chapter 13, verse 24, that he is, uh, his birth is announced by an angel. And that's a good thing. It's good to send out a birth announcement. It's even better when it's a heavenly birth announcement. So the angel comes and announces that Samson is going to be a Nazarite. And that means a couple of things. He's going to be dedicated to the Lord, and A, he's never going to touch alcohol. That's not going to be a part of his story. And B, he's never going to cut his hair. So this is a perfect message for the coronavirus hair, which I'm rocking, which many of you are rocking as well. So just think, corona hair times 10, that's what you got with Samson. So the angel announces his birth, and everything starts off well. It says this. It says, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he lived in Mehedadan. And so as he's growing up, it's kind of so far, so good. But there's a little bit of a backstory you need to know, and that is there is an enemy nation that is oppressing the Israelites right now. So these are the Philistines, and they are the bad guys. They're the baddie bads. If you might remember the story of David and Goliath, Goliath is a Philistine. So these guys are the oppressors, and they've got their foot on the neck of Israel. And so it is interesting that Samson actually falls head over heels for this cute young Philistine. And he goes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I've I've got this gal, and I want a quarter. And his dad says, oh, buddy. Couldn't you find somebody in Israel to court? And and Samson says this. Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. So it sounds a little bit like a caveman grunting, if you will, right? This is a, a quality relationship built on monosyllables, you know, Good girl, look good, right? Yeah, I kind of think of Samson like uh, one of those dudes with long hair smoking cigarettes with a Metallica shirt on in the parking lot of high school. So that's, that's kind of what I see here. But this is where the action begins because Samson convinces his dad. His dad goes and arranges a marriage with this Philistine girl. Again, these are the enemies. And Samson's kind of walking along this trail all by himself when he gets attacked by a lion. 
Okay, so, so a lion jumps out, attacks Samson. Here's what the scripture says. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. So again, one of the reasons why this is such a great story, how easy was it for him to rip the lion apart, for him to split its skull with his bare hands? It was as easy as ripping a young goat in half by by its jaws, and and certainly you all know how easy that is. I know Pastor Jake knows how easy that is. And so the idea is that this is just a great, great story, and there's all kinds of visual poetry in this. But later, he's walking along that same trail, And he sees the carcass of that same lion that he killed, and he notices some bees have built a hive in that carcass. And so he goes over, and he helps himself to some honey from the beehive in the carcass of the lion. Now, you might ask a question. How safe is it to eat honey from the carcass of a rotting corpse? Uh, The answer is probably not good during the time of quarantine, right? That's something that maybe we put a little parameter around, a little social distancing. Samson didn't seem to be so concerned. So he arrives at the wedding festivities, and this wedding is going to last a week long. He doesn't know anyone at the wedding because it's, you know, it's all filled with Philistines. And so they introduce 30 young men, 30 Philistine men to be his groomsmen. So he's meeting these guys, and he has an idea. He's going to tell them a riddle. And he's actually going to make a wager. If they can guess the meaning of the riddle, then he's going to buy each one of them this swanky Armani robe, top of the line. But if they can't guess the meaning of the riddle, then they all have to buy him that same robe, and so he gets rich. And so they all agree to this wager. Here's the riddle. It's actually a pretty good riddle. It's about the lion, which nobody knows about. He says, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet, right? So that's about the lion, and out of the strong came something sweet, the honey. So that's the riddle, pretty good riddle. Nobody can solve it. So the 30 Philistines, they're all sweating all week long. They can't solve it. They're, they're coming up, you know, whiteboarding, brainstorming ideas, trying to get it. They can't do it. So they put pressure on Samson's new young wife. And again, she's a Philistine just like them. And they say to her, you got to get the answer. you gotta, you got to have Samson tell you the, the, the meaning of the riddle. We can't be look, look like fools here. And so she does. She uses pressure, or she uses bribery, or she whines, or she snuggles, whatever she uses. But she gets Samson on the last day of the wedding celebration to tell her the meaning of the riddle. So as soon as he tells her the meaning of the riddle, she goes to these 30 guys. She tells them, Samson loses the wager. And he is furious right now. He just loses his mind. He just goes full Hulk rage smash kind of a thing. And so he does. And the reason is because he doesn't have money. He made this bet. It was an unwise bet. He doesn't have the money to pay these guys off. And so he does what many of you would do with the same kind of gambling debt situation. He goes to the next town, kills 30 men, and takes their possessions and gives them to his groomsmen, just like you would. And so it's kind of a bummer situation. He's furious. He storms off. He leaves his bride there, goes home to live with mom and dad. And literally, his bride marries the best man at his wedding. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's just, it's so, so rich. But it gets better. When Samson finds out that his bride that he bailed on has married the best man, he's furious again. And so he burns all of the Philistine crops. 
He literally just torches them all. He torches the olive groves. He torches the vineyards. And so an army of Philistines comes down to kill Samson as he's doing all this. And so Samson scoops up the jawbone of a donkey, and he begins to kill these Philistines and their army as they attack him. He slaughters a 1,000 of them, and then the rest of them kind of run away. They retreat, you know, like Monty Python, retreat, retreat. And, and then he drops his jawbone, and he promptly bursts into song. This is what he says. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a 1,000 men. It's actually pretty good if you put a backbeat to it. Listen, if you don't remember anything else, just remember that Samson is the grandfather of rap, okay? Now, after this, the next season of Samson's life, we see just real briefly, he has this affair with a Philistine prostitute. And somewhere it's inferred that she lets it slip that he is staying with her. And so another group of Philistinian soldiers come to try to ambush him, and he sneaks away from them as well. So now we've got two situations of, of Samson making poor choices, Philistines coming to get him, Samson getting away. Now we're in the third act, and this is where many of us know the story, because in the third act of Samson's life, he falls hard for this beautiful Philistine sympathizer named Delilah. And so all the leaders of the Philistines, they see they have an opportunity right here. And so they make a deal with Delilah. They're going to make her independently wealthy and her family wealthy for the rest of their life if Delilah will help them understand what is the secret to Samson's strength. So Delilah, she actually makes a pretty wise financial decision here. And uh, many people, especially the Philistines, consider her a patriot, right, as she goes into double agent mode. So she goes into this relationship with Samson with one agenda and one agenda only. It says this in chapter 16, verse 6 of Judges. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. (laughs) Now, listen, if you're Samson, wouldn't you be on your guard right now? Like, if you're Samson and this has been your life so far, don't you think that this is where you'd actually kind of get on your guard and you'd start to think, you know, I I had this first wife and, and, you know, I I ended up kind of having this wager and she was working for the Philistines. Oh yeah, because she was a Philistinian. And so she was being faithful to her people and her nation, her tribe. And that went bad for me. And then this Philistine prostitute that I was with, the same kind of thing happened. And, And now here's Delilah and she's also sympathetic to the Philistines. I, I should probably keep my classified information classified. And so he kind of gets a little bit of a clue here, and he lies to her. And this is what he says. He he tells her that the secret to his strength would be taken away if he were to be tied in bowstrings. And so then that night he falls asleep. She sneaks in. She ties him up in bowstrings. She does exactly what he said would take away his strength. Samson, this should be a clue, right? And so then the next night, she asked him, hey, tell me the secret to your strength, because you didn't tell me the truth last night. And so he says, well, the secret to my strength is if you tie me up in new ropes that have never been used for anything else, and and then my strength will go away. And so then he falls asleep that night, and of course, she ties him up in new ropes that night. And uh, I'm telling you, it's like, Samson, you got to get the clue. She's she's working for the Philistines here. By the way, I I don't know what you think of when you think of Samson. I don't know sort of what the mental picture that you have in your mind. 
You know, a lot of people, when they think of Samson, they think of somebody just huge, somebody just rock solid, like Vin Diesel or Marshawn Lynch or Mike Howerton, you know. I I would just tell you, actually, it might be more like Mike Howerton, because listen, if Samson looked like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, nobody would have come asking him for the secret of his strength. They would have looked at him and gone, oh my goodness, your biceps are bigger than my waist and your legs are like tree trunks. There's no secret here. You're just mammoth, right? But they weren't saying that. So we don't know exactly what Samson looked like. I mean, he could have looked like Gandhi with an Alice Cooper wig or something. We just don't know what he looked like. All we know is that when the spirit of the Lord was on him, he had this incredible, incredible strength. And so the next night, here's what we see. The next night, Delilah does exactly the same thing. She says, tell me again what the secret to your strength is. And he gives her some answer like, if you braid my hair into a loom, then all of my strength will go away. And so he falls asleep that night. And then the third night in a row, she does exactly to him what it would, what it would be if he was telling the truth that would take his strength away. So she clearly shows that she's doing something in order to make him weak and common. And this is the first lesson that I want to point us to today. And that is this, that when people show you who they are, believe them. When people show you who they are, believe them. You see, every night, Delilah is showing Samson what she's about. She's trying to discover the secret in order to make him common, in order to make him vulnerable, in order to make him weak. Friends, this isn't even deception. She's not even trying to deceive him. She's being super clear. And he's either unwilling or unable or too stupid or too convinced of his own strength. But whatever it is, he's not careful enough. And by the way, I want to be really, really clear. This is not some kind of gender generalization. This story is not about how all men are as stupid as Samson or how all women are as treacherous as Delilah. This has actually nothing to do with gender and nothing to do with generalization. What this has to do with is character. And all I'm saying is that the scripture shows us when people show you who they are, believe them. That doesn't mean that you don't forgive them again and again. It doesn't mean you give them second chance after second chance. In fact, friends, I I want you to do these things, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He has grace for us. We want to have grace for one another. So that's not the point. The point is simply this, that you and I, we have an opportunity that when people show us their character, we don't ignore it. That when they're clearly revealing who they are, we pay attention. If they're giving you a heads up, pay attention to it. In fact, the, the poet, the author, Maya Angelou says it this way, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. But you see, Samson doesn't the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the, you know, with Delilah, the first night, the second night, the third night. And the fourth night, Delilah is all pouty and cute and snuggly, and she says, how can you say you love me when you keep lying to me about what will take away your strength? Now, here's how he should have responded. He should have said, well, how can you say you love me when you keep trying to destroy me? But he didn't. In fact, what he did was he took that moment to tell her that the secret to his strength was his hair that had never been cut. And so he falls asleep. And that night, they cut his hair, and they capture him, and they put out his eyes, 
And now we get to the moral of the story. And it's taken us a long time to dig down through it to get here. But this is it. Are you ready? The moral of the story is Samson consistently refused to see wisdom, and so he was finally blinded. He consistently refused to see wisdom, and so he was finally blinded. See, the scripture is really, really clear that we reap what we sow, that we get what we ask for, that that when we knock on the door long enough, it's finally opened, and Samson had knocked on the door of blindness and self-deception for so long that it finally was open to him. You see, he didn't want to see that he kept falling for women who were loyal to Philistine. He didn't want to believe that they would be more loyal to country than they were to him. He didn't want to learn from the first one or the second one, or for the first and second and third night with Delilah. But because he refused to see wisdom, he finally lost his sight. Isn't that a powerful truth? But the hope in it is is for us today that we can actually learn from his mistake. We can choose today to do just the opposite. Now, I want to wrap up the story, and then we'll get into sort of what we can take away from it. His life ends in captivity and sadness. The Philistines have this huge celebration. There are just massive amounts of people here. There's this huge Philistine temple, and it's filled to the rim with all of these revelers. And even on the roof of the temple, there's a seating area, and 3,000 people are hanging out up there having a good time. And they decide to bring Samson out to humiliate him further. And so they bring him out, and they put him next to these, these columns in the temple, kind of the foundational columns. And and in that moment, Samson prays to the Lord. And I believe this is a contrite and a humble prayer. He asks the Lord to give him his strength back one more time. And in this moment, God gives him his strength, and Samson pushes the columns over, and the entire temple collapses. And the Bible says that there were more Philistines that perished in his death than ever perished during the course of his life. And so that's kind of the wrap-up of this story. And again, the question is, what do we do with the strange, sad story of Samson? This hero of Israel with incredible strength and incredibly tragic flaws. And I, wanna, I want you to understand, friends, that you need to realize his life is here, that this stuff is here. Everything is in here. It's for us. And it's an invitation for us to enter deeper into relationship with Jesus Christ, to learn more about who it is that God wants us to be, and to enjoy a relationship of love with him even more as we give him glory and grow through these lessons. So what I want to do is, is I want to let you know that, that I am always going to be Pastor Mike. My ordination goes with me all the way through the course of my life. But I also want you to know that recently I have started a coaching practice. So I do executive and transformational coaching. Uh, some of you might call it life coaching or spiritual directing. And, and I bring this up because here's what I see in this story, that Samson needed a coach. He needed to hire me. He was the hero of his story. He was on his hero's journey. He was this, you know, chosen by God to be this incredible hero of Israel, and he was given virtual invincibility to do it. And yet, Samson had no Obi-Wan Kenobi. He had no Mr. Miyagi to help him steer the ship. And so, unfortunately, his tragic flaws consumed him and derailed his potential, You know, if he'd hired me, I would have loved to coach him. And here's the first thing that I would have said. It's the first thing that I would coach you today, Arbor, as as you're listening, that, that this is something that I would coach myself. This is the starting place of it all. And the first place we start is the challenge. Let Jesus be your master. 
The challenge to let Jesus be the one that calls the shots in your life. You know, the bottom line, friends, is that joy is found in Jesus and that hope is found in Jesus and that purpose is found in Jesus and that peace is found in Jesus. And friends, I just want to tell you today that if you have never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never decided to trust him and let him be the Lord or the master of your life, today would be a beautiful day to do that. It is the beginning of such a gorgeous, I would call it a journey of love that starts now and lasts for eternity. And I want to invite you into that today. But I want to tell you that Samson, he actually arrived in the scriptures before Jesus came on the scene. So he didn't know about Jesus. But there are some clues from the text that indicate that he did not have an especially vibrant relationship with God the Father, whom he did know. And you might be a little bit shocked that I say that. Mike, how can you say that about a a Bible hero? And I would just say, well, there was the the prostitute thing, and he did slaughter 30 men in order to pay off a gambling debt. I I mean, I'm not trying to be the judge. I'm just saying he probably couldn't get a job at Arbor, okay? And so I would tell you that the clue that speaks loudest to me, though, about his spiritual relationship, his faith relationship with God, is actually when he tells Delilah the secret to his strength. Do you remember what he said? He tells her that the secret to his strength is his hair. Yeah, he had never cut his hair, and that was a part of his original vow as a Nazarite. I just want to say, however, that the secret to his strength was the Lord. It was always the Lord. It was always the Lord who stirred in him to give him his strength. Even at the end of his life, it was the Lord who granted him his prayer so that he could push those columns over. The the secret to Samson's strength wasn't his hair. It was God in his life. And I want you to understand, friends, that Samson, he chose to take it for granted. He chose to, to think about it as something that he just took as a matter of course, and he didn't realize the incredible blessing that he was receiving from God's strength working in him. And friends, this is a great reminder for you and I. You know, the Bible actually tells us that every good thing comes from God in our lives. Every perfect thing that we have, every enjoyable blessing that we have in our lives is a gift from God above. So I want you to think about that, friends. I I want you to think about the reality that the hope we have in heaven or the joy we have in laughter with loved ones or the peace we feel when our head hits the pillow after a good day's work or the taste of excellent food or connection with our beloved or even the breath in our lungs or the beauty that surrounds us. Friends, all of these things are gifts from our loving Lord. They're gifts from Jesus, our master. And so we submit to him and we trust him and we follow him. And and as we more and more allow Jesus to be the master of our lives, we're filled with his presence, we experience his peace, and we live out his purpose in our lives. And so that's the first coaching point I would have brought to Samson. First coaching point I bring to you, first coaching point I start with in my own life is let Jesus be your master. The second point I would have said to Samson is this, buddy, you got to master your life. You let Jesus be your master, and then you got to master your life. And, and the truth is for you and for me that all of us have these areas of our life that we have to be intentional about. It's called life mastery, and they're just things that as a human, we have to pay attention to. And so often what I've seen over the course of 30 years of ministry is that 
so many people ignore these things just because they're charging so hard after life. And then when they get to about midway through the journey, they take a look at where their life is versus where they thought it would be, and they see the gap in between those things, and then they hit a crisis. They're like, oh my goodness, I never thought I would just be here. I thought I'd be here. And so there's this all, all of this anxiety that comes up in that moment. That's why it's called a midlife crisis. I want to tell you that... Uh, Last year, 2019, was a really hard year for me. And I'm laughing because, obviously, 2020 has been hard for everyone. And so in context, I think maybe 2019 wasn't that bad. But up until that point, it was a really hard year for my life. It's funny how everything's in context now. Uh, but 2019 was a tough year, and so about summertime last year, I actually asked for some time away, and I was able to do some really good work with God and some deep introspection and, and really trying to do some, what I'd call, 30,000-foot evaluation of my life. And I really wanted to live the time well. And so what I did is I, I dove deep into sucking the marrow out of life. I was able to take my family down to California. We surfed every day down there. We paddleboarded. I, I rode my motorcycle all over this great state of Washington. Read a ton of books over the course of summer. I read like Hemingway, everything Salinger has ever written. I read books on personality and neuroscience and some biographies. Uh, I had great experiences with my family. But what I noticed was when my heart came most alive. And so this was really important for me. I, I had a chance to do two discipleship retreats in Montana. I took a group of guys out to Montana. And by the way, I'm doing that again this summer. And if you want to go, please contact me. I'd love to, love to take you with me. But I noticed that when I was there, everything about the experience with guys made me come alive. We're talking about these early morning, pre-dawn hikes up to a ridge, or, or jumping in an ice-cold mountain stream to do baptisms, or, or, or there was a group of guys that wanted to do a push-up contest, and one of the guys was a professional football player, and I, I might have won that contest. I mean, there were just so many great, great things about that experience, and I just found that hanging out with these guys and, and staying up late into the night talking about life and faith and excellence, it was not only drawing life out of them, but it was drawing life out of me. It was so, so beautiful. I also had a chance to, to coach a young man, and, and I, I realized I love coaching. I love that environment. And, and as I was walking through those scenarios with that young man, I just sensed that Jesus was inviting me to engage my whole heart. He was inviting me to take steps forward and change that would allow me to live this phenomenal life that he has created me to live. And, and so in that season, God was showing me some things that I could do to live well, to live with intention. So I want to give you some of these. I, I'm calling them these mantras that God gave me. And I've been practicing them for about a year, so I, I just want to blaze through these with you and see if they're helpful for you. The first one for me, this was crystal clear. God was calling me to everyday soul care. Everyday soul care. In other words, you cannot do this crazy life without taking care of your soul, without stewarding your heart. And so the scripture says this. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. So for me, soul care is how I start every day. And basically for the last 12 months, every single day, this is how I start. Cup of coffee, Bible, journal, time with the Lord. I want him to, to speak to me. I want to be able to speak to him. I want him to guide me into the course of the day. I want to start every day with soul care. The next thing is every day active. 
I just decided that I was going to move my body every day. So there's just over the course of any 24-hour period, I'm going to stretch or I'm going to run or I'm going to do some weights or I'm going to paddleboard or skate, just do something every day. And it wasn't so much diet, but I did shift my diet a little bit, more greens and more proteins and less dessert, slight less dessert. Uh, I turned 49 last summer, which, which was a big day for me, I guess bigger than maybe this summer. I, I'll turn 50 this summer, obviously. Um, but I just decided I wanted to give myself the gift of abs for my 49th birthday. So I worked hard on that. I gave myself the gift of abs, uh, as far as you know. Uh, But I want you to look at this verse, right? Because it's not about our glory, it's about God's glory. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, right? whether you work out or run or skate or paddleboard, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. In other words, friends, this is an opportunity for us to steward well this loner vehicle that God has given us for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is. It's a loner. We get it for a brief time. We get to use it well, so steward it well. We're going to turn it in here in a little bit, right? And so this is an opportunity for us to be everyday active. I would say, by the way, in my mantras, this might have been the only thing Samson had going for him. The next one I have is everyday friendship. And it's just too easy for us to be isolated in this world. It's too easy for us not to connect with friends. I don't know specifically if this is a guy thing, if this is a dad thing. I know that often I I hear this actually from young moms with young kids, that being relationally connected to friends is hard. But I want you to know that this season of quarantine has made things difficult, and our culture tends to say that the hero is the one who goes it alone, that the hero is the one who is fiercely independent, who doesn't need anybody in his or her life. I just want to tell you life is too important for that. And so in my life, I've got dear friends. I've got friends named Pat and Josh and Mark and James and Pastor Jake. And I've got a buddy who lives in Denver, and I connect with him you know, once a week over like a Zoom hour. We just spend an hour once a week. And, and I try to make sure that at least a little bit of time every day of my life is spent engaging in friendship. Here's what I want to tell you about the Samson story. This is the biggest gap in his story. This is the hugest omission I see. There's no friendship. There's no accountability, and there's no coach. And so I would have come hard on this with Samson, that friendships are noticeably lacking. He had no best friend, no wise counsel. There was no iron sharpening iron in his life. And friends, I just want to be really, really clear. We need one another. We need to have edifying, encouraging, spiritual friendships with one another so that we can be the very best that God desires for us to be. The next mantra is everyday kindness. And everyday kindness is something I expect from myself. You see, I would love to receive kindness every day, but that's not what this is about. This is about me simply making a commitment to be kind. Because at the end of the day, I've got to look myself in the mirror. I've got to live with this person named Mike. And so I demand kindness for myself. The next one is everyday learn. A lot of ways to do this. Some of my favorite ways are podcasts or audiobooks or TED Talks or sermons, lectures, uh, you know, creativity activities. I try to do these things with no extra time required because I know that's one of the sort of the arguments back is like, who has time for all this? So a lot of times I do my learning while I'm doing my cardio or I do my learning while I'm driving from one place to the next appointment because I want to make sure that I can just build that into the natural ebb and flow of my life. 
But look at what the scripture says in Proverbs 1.7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen to that. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. We don't want to despise wisdom and discipline. We want to welcome it. And so we make a commitment to learn every day, to grow in both wisdom and stature, just like Jesus did. And the last thing here is to be every day grateful. To be every day grateful. And how I work that into my life is actually in my soul care. I spend most of my prayer life with God being grateful for the things that he's done, for the things that he's doing, for the people in my life, for the way I see his hand at work all around me. I want to be grateful to God, and I'm being more and more grateful in my relationships. As I I build my friendships or with my spouse or with my kids, I want to make sure that they know how grateful I am for their presence in my life. Now, this is a formula, obviously, and I want to be really, really clear. It's my formula. Okay, This might not resonate so deeply with you. In fact, I was talking to a guy that I was coaching, and he said, Mike, I, just, I don't think there's a formula out there. I don't think that there's a one-size-fits-all, and I couldn't agree more. But the challenge I would have is this, that God has a formula for you, that God knows exactly what the blueprint is for your soul for your well-being, for your fullness and abundance. And and so that's what I want to encourage you to listen to and to press into. See, I wonder, where is it that you're out of alignment? What is it that you need to adjust so that you can be more in line with that one wild and unique you that God created, that Jesus saved, and is made for abundance? See, who is it that, that you, that if you don't, Lend your unique voice and passion, your unique perspective to the world that the kingdom of God will suffer by your silence. That's who we want to hear from. So you go back to that first coaching tip. It's letting Jesus be your master that allows you to master your own life. And friends, I just want to be clear. Samson ignored some of these essentials. He, he Notably, he ignored intellectual growth and emotional wisdom and relational connection. And he got into a financial crisis through a gambling debt. And he seemed to live with this incredible amount of self-deception in his life. And so I would have easily coached him, Samson, you got to let Jesus be your master. And you got to learn how to master your own life. And then the last point, and this is where we'll close, is the challenge to be mastered by nothing else. Jesus is your master. You master your life, but be mastered by nothing else. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6.12. He's quoting some common knowledge at the day. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about the freedom that we have in Christ. He talks a lot about this amazing freedom we have by our faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But you see, that doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we feel like doing, because when we give way to our base desires, that's actually how we become enslaved. The message paraphrase says it this way, that just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. See, we don't want to be a slave. Jesus came to set us free. And specifically, Samson was mastered. And I would suggest to you that he was mastered by his brokenness with women, that he gave his trust too easily to those who were devoted to Philistine. And the most obvious reason he did this was because he had very little self-control when it came to sex. 
Now today, we would phrase all this a little bit differently. We know we've got love addicts, we've got sex addicts, we've got porn addicts, we've got codependency. These are all ways to be mastered relationally. We also know today that we can be mastered by uh, alcohol, we can be mastered by food, we can be mastered by legalism, we can be mastered by procrastination, we can be mastered by Netflix, we can be mastered by news feeds, sports radio, we can be mastered by living stuck in fear, we can be enslaved to our compulsions. Right? There are all kinds of ways for us to be mastered. And I am not judging, I'm not here to condemn, I'm not trying to put my thumb on a bruise in your life. Here's what I want. I just want you to live free. I want you to live in the freedom that Jesus came to purchase on the cross for you. You see, please understand the story of Samson. God was with Samson. God was still with Samson all the way through. God loved Samson, and God still met Samson at the very end of his life. But what God wanted for Samson was for Samson to be free. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came. You see, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, Jesus came to set us free. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are set free. If you've trusted in the work on the cross of Calvary, you are set free. If you've trusted in him, he's placed his Holy Spirit within you, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You are free. In John chapter eight, Jesus says this, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Oh, friends, this is so amazing. This is such good news. You are free in Jesus. And it's his desire for you to live a free and a whole and a fulfilled life in him. Intentionally mastering all of these areas of life that he calls you to. And friends, this is why allowing Jesus to be your master is the most liberating thing you can do. When he is your master, you are set free from everything else. And so as I close my time with you today, what I want to do is I want to just encourage you to take one more step into your freedom, that you would take one additional step into your freedom with Jesus Christ today. And again, if you've never said yes to trusting him, if you have never invited him to be the Lord of your life, the master, the one who calls the shots, today would be a beautiful day for you to do that. Maybe you're already living with Jesus. He's already your Lord and Savior. But maybe there are some of these areas of your life that they're a little bit out of whack, and maybe you're still being mastered by some of these other things in life. Today would be a perfect opportunity for you to invite him to come into those spaces. Invite him to come into those wounded areas to bring his healing. Invite him to come into those places where you feel shackled to bring his freedom for you. So, Arbor, it's been an honor to be with you. Why don't you, why don't you pray with me now? And let's ask Jesus to do just that.